Got it. Right. One, dowsing rod. Two, dowsing instruction manual. Three, pack tarot cards. Four, incense. Five, crystal ball. Jack wrote as directed. Uncle Parker gave a blast on his horn. Out, damned hat, he muttered under his breath. The passenger seated by the hat turned and looked round, and Uncle Parker made furious waving signals, unrecognized by the green cross code, but unmistakably indicating that he wished urgently to pass. This evidently annoyed the driver in front because he reduced his speed, insufficiently to allow even Uncle Parker to overtake, but sufficiently to aggravate him further. He, in turn, responded by blasting on his special horn and switching on a battery of head and spotlights, a tactic which sometimes worked with hats who could, according to Uncle Parker, fall into one of two subdivisions, nervous or obstinate. The present hat must have fallen into the second subdivision because he maintained his speed and gave an answering blast on his horn, though admittedly not one that could be compared with Uncle Parker's, which was an extra he had had fitted for such occasions as this, and sounded roughly like the mating call of a hyena. <laughs> Must be deaf as well as daft, said Uncle Parker. Got that lot written down? Yes, it sounds smashing. Can just anyone see into a crystal ball? No, returned Uncle Parker. In fact, nobody can, as far as I know. It's merely a useful prop. <laughs> oh, said Jack, relieved. It was not that he was scared of not being able to see things in the crystal ball, but that he thought he might get scared if he did. What about prong two? What's this manifestation? Ah. Again, Uncle Parker smiled to himself. Now, as to that, I can't let you in on the whole thing. For one thing, I'm not sure of all the details yet, and for another, I haven't had a chance to judge how your acting's going on. You seem to be doing all right, judging by the state you had your father in last night. But this particular manifestation is going to be a stiff test. It sounds marvelous. Can't you give me just a hint? Oh, I can do that. Got to, in fact. Hello, the hat's turning off. The hat was indeed turning into the drive of a small bungalow. On the gate in large letters was the legend, Dun Roman. Ha! Uncle Parker was triumphant. He was so delighted that he even gave the astonished hat a grin and a cheery wave as he accelerated by. See that? This was an extension of Uncle Parker's theory. He said that nearly all hats lived in houses called Dunroman or Shenu or, at a pinch, Rose Cottage. As they streaked on towards Isham, Uncle Parker gave Jack his instructions for initiating prong two of the attack. You can use the crystal ball, he said, or you can look past people's ears, or just at any space that comes handy, but what you must do is keep muttering certain key words and phrases. Key words and phrases, repeated Jack, and efficiently noted them down on the prong two page. Which are as follows, dictated Uncle Parker, dexterously swerving past a motorcyclist. Look at that fool in front. Where's his indicator? Does he think I'm clairvoyant? The special hooter was administered reprovingly as Uncle Parker passed the erring motorist. Key words and phrases which are as follows. From the sky. Message from above. Giant bubble. Did you say giant bubble? 
<laughs> Soap bubble, do you mean? I said giant bubble. Write it down. Jack wrote it down. He then repeated what he had so far. From the sky, message from above, giant bubble. Anything on those lines, Uncle Parker told him. Stuff about the heavens opening, anything. Do a bit of improvisation as long as you stick to the general theme. No details, though. Keep it all a bit vague and hazy. So far as Jack was concerned, it was all a bit vague and hazy. He grasped the general theme only dimly and thought it unlikely he would attempt improvisation. Oh, I forgot to mention, said Uncle Parker. The giant bubble is red and white. Get that in. Just a single telling detail. That's all that's wanted. That's it for now. Got to concentrate. They were now approaching the outskirts of Isham. Uncle Parker, it was true, did, un Puh. Uncle Parker did, it was true, concentrate on his driving. But what he seemed to be concentrating on was how many narrow shaves he could achieve without actual impact. His concentration was obviously remarkable because the only casualty in all the years Jack had known him had been Thomas. But people were not fair to Uncle Parker. They held his close shaves against him, exactly as they would have done actual accidents. The neighborhood was by now thickly populated by people who had been involved in one of his close shaves, and of course a lot of them recognized his car and pulled in when they saw it coming either toward them or in their rearview mirror. "'It's not so much fun driving round here as it used to be,' Uncle Parker told Jack, as for the third time a pedestrian put one foot on a zebra, saw Uncle Parker's car approaching, and hastily withdrew it. After the mandatory number of close shaves, Uncle Parker finally drew up in a small side street, outside a seedy-looking shop. The windows were draped with imitation cobwebs, and the centerpiece of the display was a human skull. Above the shop was painted in white dripping candle grease on purple. Mysteries. Prop J. E. Firm. There we are, said Uncle Parker cheerfully. Now, let's see what we can find. They spent nearly an hour in the shop. The person who ran it was a white-faced young man with hair that was longer than his beard and bare feet. When Uncle Parker asked him about his shoes and socks, he replied that he did not believe in shoes and socks. He went on for a long time giving his reasons for this, which were apparently something to do with electromagnetic forces of the earth. <laughs> but both Jack and Uncle Parker eventually lost interest and began pottering about, while J. E. Fern got on with his explanation. The shop was quite unlike any they had ever been in before. Uncle Parker kept picking up books, reading bits out of them to Jack at random, then laughing and pushing them back in the shelves. In the end, this must have got on J. E. Fern's nerves, because suddenly he said abruptly and in distinctly sepulchral tones, "'You are not, I hope, thinking of dabbling.' "'Dabbling?' queried Uncle Parker. "'In my position,' said J. E. Fern, "'I have a solemn duty to warn people. "'The merchandise I offer is essentially for the believer, "'for the earnest inquirer into the mysteries of the universe, "'hence the name Mysteries.' "'Well, I gathered that,' conceded Uncle Parker. "'I warn all who enter,' continued J. E. Fern, "'that to dabble is not only unwise, it is positively dangerous.' Jack thought that J. E. Fern looked as if he led a pretty haunted life himself, and began to wonder if perhaps they should opt out while it was still open to them. "'I give you my word,' said Uncle Parker, "'that one thing I never do is dabble. Young Jack here will bear me out. 
If I do a thing, I do it thoroughly. Now, you're obviously a chap who has gone into this whole thing thoroughly. Tell me, what advice would you give us as beginners? Not dabblers, you understand. Those who wish to learn. Uncle Parker could get round most people when he made the effort. In no time at all he had J.E. Fern eating out of his hand. J.E. Fern even let him have a crystal ball, which was exorbitantly priced. On a seven-day trial basis, deposit refunded if not entirely satisfied. Jack himself fervently hoped that the crystal ball would not give satisfaction, and not just because of the price. He felt much the same way as Grandma and Tess did about visitations. As well as the crystal ball, they bore away a dowsing rod, plus manual, some mixed incense sticks which the man said were very conducive to visions, and which Jack privately resolved to burn only during the daytime, and some tarot cards, which looked sinister, which looked interesting, if sinister. When they left J.E. Ferns, Uncle Parker shot up another street and fetched two cream buns from a shop, and they sat companionably munching them on a solid yellow line. "'One last thing,' said Uncle Parker. "'The money. We'll get our deposit back on the crystal ball. We only need it for a week or so just to put the fear of God into them. The rest you pay for.' "'I didn't really want a dowsing rod and incense,' Jack said. "'I can't buy them for you,' Uncle Parker told him. "'They'd rumble us the minute they found out. "'In any case, I think you ought to invest in the campaign to show good faith.' "'It'll take every penny I've got outside the savings bank,' said Jack bleakly. "'I know how much it costs,' said Uncle Parker. "'I paid it, remember? "'You pay me back first chance you get.' "'All right,' Jack said. "'It is, of course, your birthday in six weeks' time.' "'mused Uncle Parker. "'No telling what I couldn't slip you on that felicitous occasion.' "'Oh, thanks,' said Jack gratefully. "'You see, I was saving up for the model glider.' "'Uncle Parker shook his head. "'You're far too normal. That's your trouble,' he told him. "'Any of the others, they'd be saving up for a Stradivarius "'or some records to teach themselves Swahili. "'Lord, that reminds me. Look at the time. "'Out, quick. Here, your parcel.' Jack had been about to leave it on the back seat of the car. "'I'll have to race like hell,' said Uncle Parker, with satisfaction, already revving. "'And watch how you carry that crystal ball!' he yelled out of the window, to the interest of passers-by. "'It's not a cabbage, you know!' <laughs> Gingerly, Jack made his way to the bus stop. It seemed to him that if a crystal ball really did have the magic properties described by J.E. Fern, it would be courting disaster to drop it. It would also, of course cost him the best part of a year's pocket money. <laughs>